So before I started studying for this sermon, and I looked at the topic of oaths and saying yes or no and telling the truth and whatnot, I thought, finally, a part of the Sermon on the Mount that is perhaps a little bit easier to apply, something not so difficult. But as I got into it, boy, was I wrong. As I pondered these words of Jesus this week, I have to say for myself personally, this has been the most challenging one so far. Um, because not only when you think about it, not only is this about radical honesty, it's also about our radical integrity and our commitment as well. For once you simply say yes or no, that has to be backed up with your follow-through, with your commitment to what you have said. So true talk must be matched by a true walk. Disciples of Jesus, we must say what we mean and mean what we say. And so Jesus, he starts by summarizing what was found in the law. If you'd like to follow along in the scriptures, you can open your Bibles or get it out in your phone. It's Matthew 5, starting in verse 33. Jesus says, if you get, again, you've heard it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Now, oaths and vows were something that were permitted and sometimes even encouraged in the Old Testament. But as we have learned, like with divorce last week, sometimes the Old Testament is not teaching God's ideal for us as human beings. Sometimes it's about regulating and preventing further sin in the community. Because why are oaths even needed? Because people often lie and manipulate the truth. That's why they're needed. So it's not God's ideal, but they were seemingly necessary for a sinful community in the Old Covenant. So oaths and vows. Now what's the difference? Oaths, this is uh, calling on God as your witness to something, to the truth of what you are saying. So that you're getting God involved in what you're saying. I swear to God, this is true. That's an example of an oath. A vow is a promise to God that you'll do something. And often you might say, Lord, if you'll help me with this, I vow, I promise that I will do this. People still do that today, right? You've heard of people praying those types of prayers. Now, oaths and vows, they were regulated by the law. I want to give you a few examples for you on the screen. In Leviticus 19.12, says, Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of the Lord your God, of your God, I am the Lord. And about vows in Deuteronomy 21, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it, for the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, you will not be guilty. Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do. Because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. These are just two examples. We could give you several others from the Old Testament. And Jesus, really, he's not quoting directly from the Old Testament, but he's summarizing the teaching. And the teaching was, do not break your oath, but fulfill your vows to the Lord the vows you've made. And this was very serious to the people. They took these as the commands of God not to swear falsely by his name. But the people were pretty tricky, pretty conniving. They came up with ways to avoid directly using God's name, but still somehow insinuate that maybe God is involved in this oath somehow. 
So they might say, well, I swear by the temple, or I swear by the gold of the temple. Well, the problem with that is, how do you know if someone is really telling the truth when they say that? Are they really swearing to God, or are they just using that to kind of make it seem like they're telling the truth, and somehow God's involved? And then the legalist would say, well, if someone swears to the temple and not to the Lord, is that really a legally binding oath? Is that legitimate? What do we do with this? So the religious leaders, they came up with a ludicrous scheme to, of determining which oaths were binding or not. And later on in the, in the book of Matthew, Jesus directly confronts this with uh, the Pharisees. And he says to them in Matthew 23, Woe to you blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, well, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar, uh, or that they are bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone, anyone who swears by the altar, swears by it and everything on it, and anyone who swears by the temple, swears by it and the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven, swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. In other words, Jesus is saying, there is no oath you can make that excludes the presence of God. There's no oath you can say that excludes his presence. And their, their system of, of trying to regulate the truth with these oaths, it had gotten so bad, it promoted more dishonesty and foolish swearing. And so Jesus said, do not swear an oath at all. Just don't swear an oath at all. We are not to participate in the system that regulates lies because we are not to lie like the devil does. Scott McKnight goes as far to say that followers of Jesus are to tell a judge who requests an oath that they are bound by Jesus not to use oaths because their words are honest. <laughs> That's kind of dramatic, right? And Christians like the Anabaptists and the Quakers, they've taken this very literally and seriously. And an interesting case happened to the founder of the Quakers, a guy named George Fox. Maybe you've heard of him. A judge, a judge sentenced him to prison for refusing to swear in the Bible. And George Fox said to him, you've given me a book here to kiss and to swear on, and this book which you've given me says to kiss the sun, and the sun says in this book to not swear at all. I say as the book says, and yet you imprison me. How chance do you not imprison this book for saying so? Maybe you should imprison the Bible, in other words. Now, I admire the seriousness of these Christians. And oaths were part of the legal system in, in Israel. And Jesus says, no, you're not to participate in that. Now, you may, you may read in other commentaries, other Christians, they've been more permissive on this issue. I think it does require discernment of what's being asked of you. But the main point is, just tell the truth, don't use oaths, you don't need them. And Jesus says, don't swear an oath at all. And then he lists the various things that people might use as a euphemism for God. 
as a way of maybe distancing or excluding God. So he debunks that again. He says, you swear by heaven, that's God's throne. You swear by the earth, that's his footstool. You swear by Jerusalem, that's his city. You swear by your own head, you can't even make a hair black or white. God owns that too. There is nothing you can swear to in all of creation that excludes his presence. And I would go one farther. There is nothing you can say in all of creation that excludes the presence of God. So therefore, all you need is to simply say yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. In other words, oaths were needed because of lying. Satan is the father of lies. His influence is is behind this. That's why the world has oaths. But Jesus wants his followers to live in a kingdom where oaths are not necessary because people are radically honest. Our yes must be yes. Our no must be no. So how do we do this? I want to give you three proposals this morning that I think would help us with this. The first is this. Speak as one who speaks before God's throne. Speak as one who speaks before God's throne. I think about that scene, maybe in a courtroom. Do you swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth? So help you, God. Yes, I do. Now, a Christian should not need such an inducement to tell the truth, but we should speak as if every word were bound by the same, by the same seriousness as if we had just made an oath to God that we're telling the truth. Everything we say should carry that weight because everything we say, he is a witness to already. He already hears it. And there is nothing you can say that excludes his presence. And Jesus said this in Matthew 12. He says, I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. In every word, every word we say it's as, is as if it's truly rising to the throne of God before his judgment seat. So we're to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. You know, but as with divorce last week, you know, we begin to wonder, well, what about, what about that? What about these legitimate, you know, exceptions we might think about? You know, what if, what if in World War II, you know, you're asked, someone comes to your house, are you hiding Jews in here? Now, I think there, there may be extraordinary situations like this. And in that situation, I would still say, speak as one who speaks before God's throne. In other words, do as God would have you do. So I think in that situation, yeah. And it's actually Bonhoeffer said the same thing. Sometimes it's necessary to deceive what the devil's doing, to deceive the work of the enemy. If someone has inspired the devil to do something, or if the devil has inspired someone to do something heinously evil, it may need to be prevented. So I would agree with Bonhoeffer there. But friends, these are, hopefully none of us ever have to face that. These are extraordinary circumstances. But let's deal with everyday life, telling the truth. In our everyday lives, everything we say should be radically truthful and honest. It should hold the weight of an oath. So in what ways might we be tempted to be dishonest? Do we ever exaggerate to make ourselves look better than we are? Do we ever exaggerate to make others 
or their arguments look worse than they are? Do we ever use superlatives to make our case? I mean, how many marital arguments have gotten drowned by starting, you always do that? Okay, okay, hold on. (laughs) Maybe not always. Do we accurately represent what others, who others are and what they have said? Or do we leave out parts that are inconvenient to us? Or do we say things and not really mean them? Oh yeah, I'd love to come to that. And then we never show up. Or how about the one that we're probably all guilty of? Guilty of. Oh yeah, I'll be praying for you about that. How often is that so empty? That we say we'll be praying, then we don't. And if you don't, if I haven't convinced you yet, if you don't think you have an issue with this, how many people would volunteer to have all the words that you've said in the past week? Just in the past week. Everything you've said, everything you've written in a text, everything you've written in an email, and let's just put it up here on the PowerPoint. And let's just scroll through this. I'm going to pick on Stan. Stan Austin said this this week. <laughs> Man, I don't think any, any one of us would want to volunteer for that. But every word we say rises to the throne of God. Every word we write to others. God has the record of it all, and he will hold us accountable for it. So I think we all could use a few reminders from Scripture. Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. Or Philippians 2. Do everything without complaining and arguing. And if this is what Scripture calls us to, then how important are the words in James 1 where it says everyone should be quick to, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. So we ought to think before we speak. But even better, might I suggest to, suggest to you that we ought to pray before we speak. Lord, can, would you please help me as I'm about to say words out of my mouth? What, would you help me say, as, or would you help me speak as you would have me to speak? Think of Psalm 19. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Do you ever consider if God is pleased with the way that you've been speaking to the people in your life, to the people around you? Friends, we live for his glory. We live for his pleasure. So let's speak like he's listening to every word because he is. So we speak as though who, those who speak before his throne. My second proposal to you is that we need to live according to how we speak. So we, had radi- we started with radical honesty. This is about our integrity. And this is the part that I would say is profoundly challenging. Once you say yes or no, you're bound to follow through with what you said. You might hear people say, my word is my bond. What does that mean? My word is as good as a contract. My word is as good as an oath. You can take it to the bank. You can depend on me. I will do exactly as I've just told you that I will do. This is how we're called to live. For Christians, our our words are as good as an oath. We back up our words with how we live. Jesus wants us to be people of complete integrity. And and one scriptural example of this, I thought of Psalm 15. I want to pull this up on the screen for you. And I've bolded some of the things about speaking that are in this. This is the person who can dwell in God's temple, God's sacred tent. 
Lord, who may live on your holy mountain, the one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks truth from their heart, whose tongues utter no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent, whoever does these things will never be shaken. Well, there's a lot we could unpack there. I mean, we might change the word, and Jesus might change the word about oaths to just simply what we say. But I, I, I find that one particularly interesting. The one who follows through on their commitment, even when it hurts. This is the person, even when circumstances change, even when things get more difficult, even when their schedule has changed, I told you I would do that, so I'm going to do it. If I said it, I'll do it. That's what this, that's what this type of person is. Someone who has complete integrity. And friends, we have to be willing to pay the price of this because it is costly. It is costly. It, to keep your integrity, to keep your word, you will have to make sacrifices to follow through on what you said. Chuck Swindoll tells a story about a young Christian man playing football at a university. And the young man was praying, God, just make me an honest person. I want to be a person of integrity. And he's playing on the football team, and uh, a, game was, a, a game was happening uh, between uh, their team and the team's rival team on homecoming night. So this is a really big game. And there's crowds in the stands, everyone's cheering, and the quarterback, he throws the ball towards the end zone. And this young man, he falls down towards the end zone and gets the ball in his arms and lands on it. The crowd goes wild. The referee says, touchdown. But the young man realizes he had trapped the football. It actually had hit the ground before he was able to catch it. But no one had noticed. No one had noticed what had happened because he was able to kind of scoop it up into his arms. And as the crowd is cheering, the man stands up. Imagine seeing this on TV. He stands up from the touchdown. He starts walking over to the referee, head down, shaking his head. And he tells the referee, I trapped the ball. It's not a touchdown. They reverse the touchdown. They end up losing the game to their rival team. Everyone on the team said, what are you doing? Who cares? What were you thinking? Everyone in the crowds, what in the world were you thinking? But this young man was willing to pay the price of integrity. He had made his prayer to God, Lord, make me an honest man. Make me a person of integrity. And he was willing to pay the price, even though it cost him a lot. That's how we ought to be as followers of Jesus. We must pay the price of integrity. Our lives have to match who we say we are. And this is why I give you my final proposal, is to be all in with your commitments. To be all in. Now, as I was wrestling, as I was wrestling with how demanding this teaching of Jesus is, the thought crossed my mind. Well, what if I just never said yes or no to anything? 
If I just never said yes or no, then I could never get in trouble. Oh my goodness. And sometimes, as funny as that sounds, sometimes this is the literal advice of the world. The world will say, the only way to be happy is to have total freedom. To have no obligations, no commitments. Then you can do whatever you want. But the truth is, if you do that, you will become a slave to your sinful heart, to your wishy-washy heart, and to the circumstances of a chaotic world. You will actually not be free. And so in the face of your own sinful heart, in the face of a chaotic world, the only way, friends, to true peace and freedom in Jesus is to thoroughly embrace the right commitments, the right limitations, and the right obligations. That's the way to freedom. It is counterintuitive, but it's true. Living wishy-washy, living without a yes or a no, is no way to live. So let your yes be yes. If you've, if you've made a commitment to something, be all in with what you said you would do. We talked about marriage last week. Are you all in on that commitment? If you, if you become a parent, are you all in on that commitment? For you've decided to be an employee of somebody, are you all in for that? Have you made a commitment to be part of a team or a committee at, at work or school? Be all in for that commitment. You've taken on a project. Are you all in? You've decided to be a member of our church. Are you all in? We're voting on some leaders this afternoon. You've decided to step into leadership. Are you all in for that commitment? Bottom line, friends, just ask yourself, can the people around you rely on you? Would the people around you say that you are absolutely dependable, that you are absolutely faithful to what you said you would do? You know, I think our culture has a big problem with bailing. When circumstances change, when things get hard, uh, when it doesn't really work with our schedule anymore, well, I'll just, just bail on that. We have a big problem with that. Christians should not be known for this. So whatever you have said yes to, whatever that may be, whatever God is calling you to do, give it your best yes. Be all in. And friends, sometimes you have to give things your no because you've said yes to what God is calling you to do. Just make it, if it's a no, make it a no. That's something that you have to discern with the Holy Spirit and in community. I want you to consider a couple of, a couple of other things. Consider your no to sin. Consider the fact that you have said no to sin. No, I will not lust. No, I will not be overcome by greed. I will not compromise the values of Jesus. So if you've said no to sin, let it be a firm no. It will not be in my life. It will not have a place in my heart or my mind. Let your no to the distractions of the kingdom be a firm no. Do not be sidetracked by what the enemy wants to do in your life. Give him a firm no. Say, no, not today, not on my watch. It is a firm no for me. Consider what it means also to have said yes to Jesus. Consider what it means to say, yes, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my God. You are my King. Yes, I will follow you. Is your yes to him your best yes? 
Is it all in for him? Friends, we know from Scripture, God cannot stand it when we are lukewarm. That's just the truth. That's just, he wants a full yes. You know, there's a story, when a, remember the prophet Elijah and how many people were worshiping Baal? And it says, he goes to the people and he says to them, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And it says the people, they said nothing. They were wavering between two. Are you all in for Jesus? If he's your God, then give him your all. Follow him. Choose now to say yes to the most important commitment in your life. So friends, Jesus, he calls us to be all in for radical honesty, integrity, and commitment. And we can do this because he said 100% yes to you. Even in your sin, even in all the empty words that you've said, all the times that even that you've said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you, but you've messed up. Even in all that, he said 100% yes to you, to creating you, to saving you, to dying for you, to rising again for you. Now he is your mediator between the Father so that all your sins will be forgiven forever and you can be with him forever. He has given you his best 100% yes. And he holds out his arms and says, will you love me back the same way? Will you love me with the same love that I have loved you? I want to close by giving you guys a song. Invite Matthias up. We're going to close with some special music. And as we're playing this song for you, um, the reason I feel it's, it's beautiful it talks about the mercy of God, the faithfulness of God, even when we've been unfaithful, and how he keeps bringing mercy upon us, even when we don't deserve it. And uh, if you feel like um, singing along as, as, you, as you catch on to it, please do that. Um, but also just take this time to pray and to meditate on your walk with the Lord.
promises lie broken at your feet, but you have never broken one. 